Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Tonight we're going to be reading a passage that includes two words. Uh, it's, it's longer than that, but it includes two words um, that are probably some of the most well-known words in the Bible, Christian or not. Uh, you have probably heard these words. Maybe they were spoken to you. Maybe you said them to someone else. You may have not have known the exact scripture, but you knew these two words um, were in there. These words are often quoted and often misunderstood. Does anyone want to take a guess at what two words I might be talking about? You're shaking your head. Judge not. There it is. Did you cheat? Okay. All right. You're honest, I believe. Yeah, judge not. How many guys have ever been told that um, whenever maybe you have pointed out something about someone's life that may not line up with the word of God and they fire back, judge not? Judge not. Anyone, anyone ever heard that before? Anyone ever said that to someone before? All right. That passage is found in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 this evening. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up there. If you have our FC app, you can open up there as well. If you don't have our app, uh, we have our sermon notes from Sundays. We've been putting our Wednesday studies on there as well. Uh, you can look at connect groups. You can uh, sign up to serve. You can check out what's coming up at Foundations Church, and uh, be, it's an awesome app to have if you don't have it, so go ahead and download it. But our uh, notes are there um, this evening under the, I think it's media tab, and you click sermon notes, and you see the midweek slide. But Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 says this, "'Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you.'" Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack. Now, we live in a society where it is almost impossible to critique or, uh, I guess, criticize, if you will, point out faults in someone's lifestyle. Um, it's seen as unloving, seen as bigoted, seen as hateful, and, and we can't stand for absolute truth because, well, that's just insensitive, and uh, you know, what is absolute truth, and who are we to judge, right? You live your truth, and I'll live my truth. Um, this passage found in Matthew chapter 7 is, is at, towards the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in the book of Matthew, there's what is known as the five discourses. Um, you've got uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Uh, you've got the missionary discourse, which is in Matthew chapter 10, the kingdom of heaven discourse, or, or the parabolic where he's speaking in parables, found in Matthew 13, um, discourse on the church in Matthew 18, and the Olivet uh, discourse, which is he's saying on the Mount of Olives. Uh, in Matthew 23, 24, and 25. And each one of these different sections is Jesus speaking um, to the, the crowd here at Sermon on the Mount, the apostles, um, and, and most of the other ones. And they wrap up with the phrase, when Je Jesus had finished saying these things, 
And so if anyone ever asks you, hey, what book of the Bible, the five discourses of Jesus, it's, it's Matthew. Um, doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about tonight, but there you go, a little trivia for you. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has covered pretty much the basics of Christian living. Uh, think about it. He, he begins with the Beatitudes, talks about these characteristics that believers should exhibit in, in their entire life, right? Not that, oh, I am hungering and hungering. I'm hungry and thirsting. Yeah, I think that's the proper uh, uh, vocabulary there um, for righteousness, but I'm not poor in spirit, but that all of these should uh, be filled in the believer's life. Uh, he talks about our view of the, and, and our, our view of the world and our role in the world, that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, he tells us that God's word is unchanging and, and uh, we have to be fully committed to it, not just in what we do, but what's in here as well. He, he talks about, um, moving on to chapter six, he talks about prayer and giving and fasting and our response to that. He, he covers how we should deal with finances and our view of material wealth and possessions and our attitude over that, our view of, of he's covered all these things, right? Um, our view of ourselves, our view of God and his word, our role in the world, our view of the world. In chapter seven, he's getting to our relationships with other people. And so he's talking and encompassing every aspect of the believer's life. And as with most points in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is con- contrasting, I guess you will, um, the proper way to live in light of how the Pharisees have set up this structure. And you see, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago when he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, right? That he is, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. And so he, he's kind of showing, hey, there is a structure that's been set up. You don't need to be like them. And, and so he starts Matthew chapter 7 in, in a very similar way. Because by the time Jesus has stepped on the scene, these Pharisees and religious leaders have kind of twisted and retrofitted God's laws to suit their own needs instead of coming alongside of what God's laws are. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is having an interaction with the Pharisees, and they come to him and they say this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Not God. Why do they break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? They have established these traditions equal to or above the laws of God. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your traditions... You have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Um, And Matthew chapter 7 does the same thing. Jesus is countering the way of the Pharisees. They've set up this standard of their own, and if someone didn't measure up, they could judge them, and it would be condemning, it would be unloving, it would be unmerciful, and they had elevated themselves. And when we elevate ourselves, we're able to look down upon other people. We're able to point out their faults because why? Well, I'm above you, and so I can see everything that's going on and all that's wrong in your lives. Let me ask you a question. Are we as followers of Christ supposed to pass judgment? (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Jesus said, don't judge. So that's interesting. But let's read some other passages here real quick. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Still in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Let me get there. 
Beware of false prophets you come, who come in sheep's clothing, um, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let's look at Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5. 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Um, Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But if but if, uh, sorry, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I'm saying again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. That word in the Greek is anathema. It means something that is set apart for destruction. And John 2, verse 10, 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him partakes in his wicked works. And let's go to Leviticus 19, real quick, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So we just kind of ran through seven or eight verses there real quick. So let's take a look at the main point from each one. Um, Talking about false prophets. How can we tell who are false prophets if we are not judging what they say? Okay. Um, It's kind of rhetorical, but let me, let me, me, no, no, you're good. Um, So how can you watch out for those causing division if we're not paying attention? Got to judging their actions. Um, How can you avoid those who are sexually immoral, greedy, idolaters, drunkards, liars, if we aren't judging their actions? Um, how can we call out false gospel if we are not listening to the words that are coming out of their mouths? Leviticus 19 suggests that um, not addressing sin is not just unloving, but it's a form of hatred. It's a form of hatred. You should not hate your brother, but deal frankly with him. Um, if I see my kid shoving his hand down the garbage disposal and simultaneously reaching for the switch, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to love him through this. Or am I going to address the situation? When you have family or friends that are are living in sin, that's obvious, and you don't address it, it's not you just, I'm just going to love them like Jesus and just let that change them. No, 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 no. It's a form of hatred. Why? Because they're driving 100 miles an hour towards a cliff. That there needs to be awareness brought to the situation. So let me ask you again, are we as Christians supposed to judge? Yes. yes. Now, the type of judgment is what we've got to distinguish here, is what Jesus is talking about. Um, 
Yes, Steve, quit ruining my point. No, that's right. But that's exactly right. And here it is. It's on the screen. Hebrews 5.4. You got ahead of me. I think you looked at the slides. Um, he looked ahead on the app then. He looked ahead on the app. I know it's, we've lost all control. Um, so we, we as Christ followers, he's like, I'm out of here. Yeah, we as Christ followers are to judge, but it's a judgment of discernment. You're exactly right. It's a judgment of discernment. Um, we're to call uh, what's right, right, and what's wrong, wrong. We're to call what's good, good, and what's evil is evil, right? Um, we're to associate with righteousness and not associate with unrighteousness. And, and we are to preach and affirm what is true and call out what is false. Like that is crystal clear that that is our role as followers of Christ. And so we are to have this judgment of discernment, which doesn't happen by chance, it's not like we just stumble upon this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That there is a training that's involved. Paul tells Timothy, and I've mentioned it at the end of Sundays, that we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness that we, we work on ourselves, that we train ourselves. Getting up and going to the gym, it isn't always fun, it isn't always easy, but it has benefits. And so spiritual discipline, spiritual training has these, has these benefits that we are able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false. And the author of Hebrews tells us that those powers of discernment are trained through constant practice. Calling sin, sin is not judgmental. Weighing the actions of someone is against the word of God, which is our standard of truth, um, that's not judgmental. But remember what Jesus is, is pointing out here is he's pointing out the way these Pharisees have done things and how they have treated others, and he's telling us not to be like that. Judge not that you not be judged. The kind of judgment that Jesus warns about uh, against is this self-righteous, um, this harsh, this critical judgment, this condemnation that has been passed by these Pharisees, and he's saying, don't do that. That kind of judgment is expressly forbidden in followers of Christ because they were not concerned about restoring a brother. Um, They were condemning them, sentencing them to eternal judgment by the standards they had set up, not according to the standards that God had put in place. Um, The judgment, it's not judgment of actions. I think we've established that. Um, but he's saying, don't judge motives. A lot of times, I don't even know why I did something. There's no way I can possibly know why you did something. Right? The only thing that, that, the one thing that should constantly define the life of a follower of Christ is something that we all have received. It's forgiveness and it's mercy. Right? That we have been extended forgiveness and mercy and compassion And so we do not judge in the sense that it's harsh, that it's critical, that it's condemning. Um, R.C. Sproul talks about how everyone has, there's two lenses that people view through. He says you you view things through what he called the jaundice eye, which is you kind of have like this slant and this skepticism and this um, this kind of like squinty eye, like what are you really up to? It's it's the pessimist, right? It's the glass is half half empty, that this person is, is out to get me. And he says, that's the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. But then you have those people that look through life through what they call rose-colored glasses, where everything is great. And you give people the benefit of the doubts. 
And, and he says, this is the judgment that we are to have, is that we are extending um, mercy, that we are slow to condemn, but quick to love. Um, this section of scripture goes on to tell us what happens when we pass this kind of judgment. He says, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. When we read this, our mind probably immediately goes to human relations, right? That we think, man, I'm going to, to get what I give, right? That's, that's probably where our mind goes. And that's not, it may not necessarily be false, but I think there's a bigger picture that's not one of like earthly reciprocation, where it's like, oh man, if I was harsh to that person, it's probably going to come around, right? Karma is going to bite you. No. The one thing that we as followers of Christ have got to start doing is living with one eye focused on earth and one eye focused on heaven, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but you know what I mean, right? I go cross-eyed, I try to do it. But meaning that, that our, our focus is not here on earth, that if we get so focused with what is going on here, we forget that this life is temporary, and we hold on to things with closed fists and say, no, 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 I got to do what I got to do to hold on to this life. But with our, our eye, one eye focused here on earth and one eye looking up towards heaven, we live with our hands open and we realize that there is, a lot of times, there is an, an earthly application that happens, absolutely, but there is a heavenly application that is happening at the same time. And, and in this, even when we read the Bible, um, and we look at a, a, a verse like this, um, with the measure used, that we measured to you. If we are looking like this, we miss the up and down, the vertical relationship. You know what? I'm not so concerned about what other people are going to say about me or judge um, to me. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That our, our concern should be with how God is going to judge us. That, that should be our concern. And so what, what we're reading is that if I'm harsh and if I'm condemning, if I'm unmerciful, man, I can expect the same to come back to me. And Jesus says this a handful of times in the Gospels. Um, we'll look at Romans chapter 2 where Paul is writing, um, and he says this, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother or speaks evil against the law and judges the law, uh, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and the judge. He who's able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? When we judge in this condemning, this, um, we're bringing down this gavel and saying like, guilty, right? Think of the judge, guilty, guilty. Um, what we do is, is we set ourselves up as God um, because what we do is we assume we know what's best. We assume we have all the information. We assume we have all the facts. We know all the motives. And this is an attribute that God has that's called omniscience that we don't have. But we're saying, no, 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 I know it all. I know it all. And so because I know it all, because I can look down on you, because my way is the best way, I think that what you did is wrong. And you know what? You're worthless. And you know, you're probably gonna spend eternity in hell. And so what's gonna happen when that turns around? What does that look like? Is that when we stand before God, he's gonna go, so you know it all, right? Okay. So why didn't you live it out? You know it all. This is the measure that you set. 
and you're down here, so what's your, what's your excuse? No, 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 right? That, that the measure that we use to judge others is the measure that is going to be thrown back at us, that you and I are no better than anyone else, that we have to understand this, that we're no better than anyone else, um, that if, if we understand, if I understand even a portion of who God is, then I understand that I am totally worthless and wretched and ugly, right? That if I understand who God is, then I understand how I look in his sight. And so there is no reason why I should hold myself up, why any of us should hold ourselves up above anyone else. Um, that, that when I look at myself in view of God, that I am deserving of, of everything, all the wrath that he has stored up for me, like I am. That, that our only hope is found where? It's found in Christ. That's our only hope. If you have hope in yourself, then sure, you can look down on someone. Okay. Why? Because, yeah, Christ is cool, but I'm like, I'm pretty good too. You guys ever heard of, of the prophet Isaiah? He was a prophet for Israel for, for about 60 years. He had the, the privilege of bringing the word of God to the people. That the priest got to go to God on behalf of the people. The prophet got to bring the word of God to the people. You want to talk about someone who's righteous, someone that could have looked down on others if he wanted to, Isaiah. And we read in Isaiah chapter 6, he had this encounter with God. And, and as he's standing before God, he doesn't stand before him and go, man, I'm really glad you're here. I've got this scroll. I've got these documents that I need you to look over. I've been keeping track of all these people. They're really messed up. I wrote down some suggestions on what you should do. So go ahead and sign off on that. And I would really appreciate it. When he's standing before God in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Woe is me. Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. The word woe is this cute, like, poetic word that no one uses anymore. But it's the only way that you can put into words this guttural scream of despair. You say, woe is me. And then, like, it, he screams in terror. And the King James says, I'm undone. I'm destroyed as he is standing before God. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. But you're the prophet. You're the mouthpiece of God. It doesn't matter. I'm a man of unclean lips. But no, we're good. We're, you can go ahead and pass judgment because we're, we're good. Yeah. Right? No. No. We have no authority, no role, no room to pass judgment. Jesus goes on to tell us that we have this incorrect view of ourselves, that we've had this incorrect view of God, we have this incorrect view of others, and he says, now you kind of got an incorrect view of yourself, and we're, we're going to take care of that. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, others, your brother's eye. He confronts this incorrect view of ourselves, and he follows it up with this correct way to address sin. Um, his first addressing is a sin that I, I think is, is, is self-righteousness. Why? Because it's a dangerous sin that blinds us to our own sinfulness. That's what it means when you are self-righteous. It justifies our sinful actions while calling attention to the sins of someone else. Um, Jesus uses this extreme example, uh, and imagine me, I'm getting my fence replaced. So imagine me walking around with this four-by-four four fence post sticking out of my face, 
But I'm like, hey, Dennis, hold on. You got something in your eye. Let me, let me just get it out. You're like, what do you need to get out of here? I don't need, I'm in no place to give you advice. It'd be like me being on my fifth marriage asking or giving a newlywed couple, you know, the secrets to a successful marriage. It's like, what? I have no, no authority to do that. I have no, no position to do that. Right? Self-righteousness trusts in me. It trusts in self. It doesn't trust in God. Um, it trusts that I know what's best, that I know what's right and wrong, that I can determine who's right, who's wrong, who's saved, who's lost. And Jesus says, get yourself straightened. He goes, you hypocrite, you Pharisee, you actor, you fraud. What are you doing? <clears throat> he says, take the plank out of your eye. This is a, uh, a very tame way that it reads, but the language implies this violent, aggressive immediate action that needs to take place. That you need to address this now. Not tomorrow, not later today, but now. You need to take that plank out of your eye immediately first. And then what happens? Then you see clearly. When that plank is removed from your eye, you see God clearly, and you see others clearly, and you see yourself clearly. And so once we're able to see clearly, who do we help out? Do we help out our servant? We help out our slave? We help out our employee? We help out our brother. We help out our brother that we are now on equal playing ground and that there is one God that is above us all. David writes this in Psalm 51, verse, oh, there goes my bookmark. We'll just read it here. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, not before, then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. That there is not this avoidance of a confrontation of sin, that it, that it has to take place, but it comes from a place of humility. It comes from a place of having a right view of God, a right view of ourselves and a right view of others. And so we have to be careful because Jesus talks about this self-righteousness. You have this plank in your eye. You're standing above others thinking that you can pass judgment when you have no place to do so. Then we can go to this other side and think, man, I, you know what? Just let them be, you know, God will sort it out. There's got to be a balance here that we walk down, that we say, hey, I'm not going to be self-righteous, but I'm not going to avoid the issues that need to be addressed as well. But I'm going to do so with humility and with love, and with mercy, and with compassion, and with forgiveness. You see what's happening here? That we have to, if we ignore this responsibility, if we walk on this side of it, then, then this, this discernment becomes lazy. And when the discernment becomes lazy, church gets sloppy, and our spiritual lives get sloppy. And we go back to what we talked about in James that we have this body of believers, that we are confessing our sins one to another. Why? Because we're all unworthy and we're all broken and we all need a savior. And so we address the sin corporately and we work together as a functioning body of Christ. Jesus finishes with this pretty difficult saying um, that seems really, um, really out of place here. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about it here. We'll break it down. I don't think it's all that difficult to, to decipher. 
Um, do not give dogs what is holy. At the time that Jesus is, re- or this is being written, Jesus is saying this, um, they didn't have dogs with painted toenails and, and tutus sleeping in their bed, right? That wasn't like, oh, this is fluffy. I'm carrying around in my purse. Like that, they did, that's not what dogs were for. They had, they had some dogs that would help um, like with, with uh, the sheep and, and shepherding and things like that. But the dogs that Jesus is talking about here, they are filthy, mean, scavengers. Like they are, they're considered unclean animals. And when he says, don't give the dogs the things that are holy, in the Old Testament during the sacrificial system, um, they would, oftentimes they would bring a sacrifice before the Lord and they would divide it into portions. And they'd give a portion of the priest, um, a portion of the family to take home, and they would put a portion on the altar that was considered holy. And that was for God. And Jesus is saying, it, like, man is not to eat that holy sacrifice. How much more of an abomination, how much more disgusting and disgraceful would it be if you threw that to an unclean dog? You don't do that. You don't throw the holy things to these, these, these animals. And he says, and you don't give a, a pig a pearl. That pig's, pig has no value. Like a, a pearl has no value to a pig. They, and he says they might turn and attack you. Why? Because they can't eat it. They're more concerned about the slop and the mess they're living in than the, than the infinite value that has just been thrown at them. You don't throw pearls to pigs. You don't give what is holy to the dogs. And oftentimes, um, let, me, let, me, let me stop here. Let me go back. Let's, let's look at something. Um, we're wondering how this applies to our lives, what this looks like. You're like, I don't have any pigs, and my dog is pretty chill, right? In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out his disciples, Right? Can anyone tell me what that looked like? He sent them out. Anyone? It's not a trick question, just... <laughs> yeah, he gave him a mission, yeah. Um, yeah, it's talked about this earlier. Maybe it's a little, little, little foreshadowing that it's the, it's the missionary-like discourse. Um, he t- sends them out and he says, hey, preach that the kingdom is at hand. Um, heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers. He says, if you go to a town and they welcome you, find a place, if it's worthy, let your peace rest there. And, and preach the gospel and do the miracles there. If you go to a town and it won't welcome you, what are you to do? Shake the dust off your feet. Don't go back. Now, this is a, a symbolic gesture that the Jews would go to Gentile areas that were considered unclean. When they would leave the Gentile areas, they would dust the dirt off of their feet, saying, hey, I'm not taking in this contaminant with me. That I'm leaving it behind. I'm not, I'm not even doing it. And so he says, hey, if there's a town that rejects you, that rejects the gospel, that rejects the word and the, and the message that I sent you with, dust them off your feet. Go somewhere else that will accept you, that will accept your word. Don't waste what is holy on those that don't appreciate it. Jesus talks about the pearl of great price, that we've been given this pearl of great price. Pigs don't accept the pearl. Dust them off your feet. Go to a place where that, fer- where that soil is fertile. Where it'll take root. And oftentimes, when we're, we're talking to people about the Word of God, when we're preaching, when we're, we're telling people, there's going to be people that, that reject you. There's going to be people that mock you, people that belittle you, people that, that reject it outright. You know what Jesus says? Dust them off. Dust the dirt off your feet and move on. That sounds like a pretty harsh thing, doesn't it? Not everything that Jesus said is easy to digest. It's called the narrow road. Many Many find the, the wide road, but few find and follow the narrow one. 
He doesn't say a ton of easy things. You're like, I don't like that reading. Well, okay, maybe that's not me. Maybe it's Jesus in Matthew 11. Jesus said this, verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Not everyone's going to understand, not everyone's going to accept, not everyone's going to appreciate the gospel message. Uh, I don't know about that. Matthew 13, verse 11 through 13. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Not everyone's going to receive. Not everyone's going to welcome the message of the gospel. For the one who has more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In Acts 17, Paul goes to Mars Hill, and he's talking to these guys. You have a group that reject him, a group that say, ah, you're kind of interesting, you can come back if you want, and a group that follow him. In Matthew 13, before that passage we just read, Jesus is talking about the seed that's scattered on soil. It's scattered all over the place, and some of it is scooped up immediately by birds because it takes no roots. Man, that, that we have been given a holy and priceless message. And if people don't accept it, we pray for them. We pray that God breaks their heart and softens their heart and draws them to him. But we don't keep banging our head against the wall. And we say, okay, I'm going to keep moving on. And I'm going to pray that someone down the road reaches you. And that, that God in his awesome mercy and sovereignty works out your salvation doesn't mean we develop this hard-hearted attitude towards them. No, we walk away brokenhearted. We see Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of the people that wouldn't accept his word. We don't walk away with our head, eh, well, smug look, no, 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 no. It should be devastating. But if we believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control, then we've got to trust that he is sovereign in salvation as well. And that no one slips into heaven or no one slips into hell without him seeing them first. And so what do we do? We preach. We preach because we're commanded to. How can they hear? How can they believe unless someone preaches to them, unless someone speaks to them, unless someone proclaims the good news? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? But guess what? I can't save anybody. And you can't save anybody. You may have your project that you're working on at work. Can I tell you, man, you cannot save them. Only God can. Only God can. You be obedient, and you tell them the message of the gospel, and you tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But you leave the results up to God. And if they reject it, pray for them. Pray for them. But take that same message of hope somewhere else and pray that they accept you. And if they do, praise God for their salvation. Let's pray. Father. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.